as you know, Netflix runs this like huge video streaming service and everybody in the world is using it. And Netflix competes directly with uh, Amazon Prime Video. And they are like head-to-head -head competitors here. I think Netflix is farther ahead, but uh, still they, they compete with each other. Interestingly, Netflix is built on AWS, which is also owned by Amazon. And it's interesting that Amazon is able to segment their product in such a way that they can be very, very friendly with Netflix in one aspect and also competitive with Netflix in a different aspect. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel, and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. Today, I'm talking to Eli, and he's going to tell us all about how and why he is building a marketplace for geospatial data and algorithms. So before we dive into the interview today, I want to remind you that this podcast is sponsored by a company called HiveMapper. And this is the company that really could have helped me out when I was at university. I did this project and we were trying to build the biggest thermal map in the southern hemisphere at the time. And what we'd done is we'd taken a camera out of a BMW, so a thermal camera out of a BMW, and we mounted it on a plane and we flew it over the city of Christchurch. And that gave us a huge amount of data in video format. But what it meant is that I had to take every frame of that video data apart and stitch it together as images. It was a massive job. And this is exactly the problem that HiveMapper solves. With HiveMapper, you can upload video footage to the platform and it automatically creates these 3D layers for you and geo-references them. So this is a really big idea and it's a really interesting concept. So if you're interested, go along to hivemapper.com and check them out. Okay, on with the interview. Hi Eli, and thank you so much for, for coming along and taking the time to do this interview with me. Much appreciated. I realize you're busy. You've just launched or you come out of the beta stage of Up42, your your company, and um, I'd really like to talk to you about it. But before we dive into all that, maybe you could just tell the listeners a little bit about your, your background. Sure, and it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Um, my background, so yeah, my name is Eli Tamanaha, and uh, my background is all in software development. Um, I started my career back in the day in 2004 in Seattle. Uh, I worked for a long time at Microsoft, uh, later went to Amazon, which is also in Seattle, uh, moved to the Silicon Valley area um, and worked for Netflix, um, then later moved further south to Los Angeles. Um, I started my own company called DroneBase and was uh, the founder and the, the CTO there. Um, DroneBase was my first introduction to geospatial data. Uh, where we maintained a very large drone pilot network. Uh, we did a lot of business development with enterprises and uh, took orders basically to uh, capture drone imagery and video. And then we would dispatch those orders to uh, our drone pilot network and they would fly the drones according to our instructions, upload the imagery to our system, and then we would process it and deliver it back to customers. Um, that was about five years ago. Um, and since that time, like earlier this year, I came to Berlin, Germany uh, to, to, to run Up42. Um, Up42 is a, a new company that um, also does geospatial data, but on a much bigger scale. So we're not just talking about drones anymore. It's about uh, drones and satellites and planes, but also other kinds of geospatial data like weather and traffic and IoT. 
so it's a platform for uh, using and analyzing geospatial data. Okay, so that's a huge amount of information you've given us there. Uh, <laughs> and, and that's fine. That, that, that's what I asked for, and I, re- I really appreciate it. Maybe we could start off by, by telling us where, where the name came from, Up42. It, does, it doesn't, you know, scream geospatial. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, when we were being incubated, uh, our code name was Interstellar. Uh, and that was an awesome name. Everybody loved it because it's sort of space related. And there's a cool movie with Matthew McConaughey in it. Um, but unfortunately, we, aren't, we were not able to uh, trademark the name Interstellar. Um, and so we had to come up with a new name. Um, Up42 um, represents, well, the up part of it is a nod to Airbus, which is our parent company, um, because Airbus has the planes, the drones, and the satellites that fly in the sky. So up refers to that. Um, And the number 42 um, comes from the famous science fiction novel, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, And in that novel, it's a comedy. Uh, There is an advanced alien race that looks like mice. um, And they create a supercomputer the size of a planet, which they call Earth. And uh, over the course of a long time, like a million years or something, um, they set this computer off crunching numbers to come up with the ultimate answer to life, the universe, and all things. Um, and at the end of this, the, the result is the number 42. Of course, it is the ultimate answer. Um, it, it's a comedy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> of course, then they, they, they had to figure out, like, what is the question that 42 answers? <laughs> but uh, in, in the tech world in general, I think 42 is a special number. Um, it, it, in general, represents the ultimate answer. When you combine it with the up, it's like you, you, you get the ultimate answer from above, uh, from the devices that give us geospatial data and insights. Okay, that, that makes so much more sense now. I get it, <laughs> especially, especially after you describing or telling us about the, the parent company, Airbus, which has this satellite infrastructure and are therefore collecting a lot of data, which I'm assuming is part of your platform. Okay, so we know a little bit about your background now. We have an understanding of where the name came from, which was very entertaining. Thank you. Um, maybe you could tell us uh, what problem is Up42 solving? Yeah, so Up42 is in this interesting space. Um, the problem that we're solving is that there are a lot of companies out there in the world who could benefit from geospatial data. Like it would make their companies more efficient, their operations more efficient. Um, but they, they have a hard time accessing and using that data. Um, if you put yourself into their footsteps or their shoes, um, to start, like, how would you even access, like, high-quality imagery from a satellite? You might try to reach out to a company that owns satellites, so uh, maybe try to reach out to Digital Globe or to Planet or something like that. Um, And then um, you can't necessarily just sign up on their website and create a user account and just buy data. Like you have to get on a phone and you have to talk to a salesperson. And then there's this long contract negotiation process. Could take months, maybe six months. And at the end of that, you have to enter into a deal that is very, very big. Like it might be a lot more data and a much higher price point than you are able to pay for. So if you're a small or a medium-sized company, that pretty much is a barrier to entry. Uh, and then once you do have this data, like or this 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 agreement in place, 
um, they might deliver the data through all different kinds of ways. Like they're not all modern, which is ironic, I think, because you would think of satellites as being like very advanced, like futuristic technology. Um, but a lot of these companies um, don't even have an API, uh, like an electronic interface that will allow your computer to connect to theirs and then they just send you the data. Like sometimes they even like physically mail external hard drives to you. Um, so you got to figure out how you're going to get this data into your company or into your product in, a, in an efficient way. Um, you, then, then once you do have the data, like you got to figure out how you're going to process it. Uh, raw satellite data is sometimes unwieldy. Like it's very voluminous. Um, there's a lot of pixels in it. Um, um, and you got to figure out how you're going to process it. Maybe you need to do some machine learning or some artificial intelligence that will recognize objects in the image. Or maybe you need to do, you need to run it through a few filters that will sharpen the image um, or specifically look for uh, colors that you're, that, you're that you're trying to detect. So there's the processing part of it. Uh, maybe you have to create your own algorithm in-house or you contract with uh, an analytics company in the industry that specializes in that. But either way, like you're gonna have to figure out how you're gonna integrate those algorithms onto, into your product. And then once you do, you've done all this, like you have this, this, this other problem where you need to have some sort of a compute infrastructure that runs it all. Um, and maybe you're not a tech company. So like maybe you're in, you're in the agricultural space. You need to figure out how you're going to set up the servers in uh, AWS or Google Cloud Platform or Azure, um, the, the servers that are going to crunch all of this data, process it, and basically come up with the product to use. So this is a really, really big problem. I think it repels a lot of businesses out there. Uh, it's too hard to use geospatial data in a nutshell right now. That's the problem that we're solving. Yeah, and I think um, I would actually go a step further and, and point out that, that perhaps there's a human element to all this as well. Like it, when you're describing the, the, um, the barriers to entry there, I think you missed the important point that companies need to realize that the, the way they could benefit from this data in the first place. Otherwise, you would not even venture out on this, this journey, right? So they need to have that understanding that, hey, we, we could benefit from this. This would be advantageous to us in some way, shape, or form if we did this. We would, we would save money. We would save time. There, there would yes. be some sort of benefit to us. And I think without that sort of in-house expertise, that'd be really difficult for, for companies to come to that conclusion. I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, um... Uh, there's a huge educational piece out there. And I think that uh, because uh, companies have not had easy access to this kind of data, they have not done a whole lot of experimentation, which is limiting like the amount, the, the number of use cases out there. Um, so if we can lower the barrier to entry, we'll get a lot more companies using this data, just experimenting with it and seeing like, hey, can I use this data to... I don't know, map my farm or something like this, and, and, or, or, or help me to measure the, the health of my crops. Um, and as they start to experiment with these use cases and they start to learn the value of geospatial data, then we'll see the data being used much more broadly and much more efficiently. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Um, so I think now we've done a really good job of sort of listing out those barriers to entry 
in, in terms of getting access to this data and what it could do for, for different organizations. Um, how could, could you maybe walk us through the, the user journey? How are you removing these barriers to entry? What, what are you doing that, that's going to make access to this significantly e easier for, for people? Okay, yeah. So, so F42 is a platform. And what we do on a, on a pretty big scale is we reach out to other companies in the industry that either provide data or they provide analytics. And we talk to them, we form agreements with them, and we integrate them onto our platform. So right now, there's like over 30 different companies that are integrated into Up42, and they're offering their data or their services on the platform. Um, and what I'm talking about is like um, Airbus is one, right? So they obviously, they're a parent company. They're going to be integrated. Um, all of the Airbus data is available on Up42. So if you wanted uh, imagery from a Pleiades uh, satellite, which is high resolution imagery, um, instead of going through, you know, talking to a salesperson and going through a lengthy contract negotiation process, you could just come to Up42, create a user account, and then use that integration. You would get easy access to that data. Um, and then when it comes to the analytics providers, um, these are companies like Orbital Insight, for example, or, or Pink Matter or Live EO. They have algorithms that will process this sort of data. Those algorithms are integrated onto Up42 as well. And so what this does is um, it, it gives you, as a customer, a place to come. You simply select the data that you want to use. You, you can select the algorithms that you want to funnel that data into. And you can, it could be multiple algorithms. Um, and then at the end of it, the result, you can either download through our website, or if you have a big company and you want to integrate through an API, we have a modern API for you to integrate with, and that forms your workflow. So without doing too much work, you can have access to lots of data or analytics all across the industry from the experts um, pretty easily. So up until this point, we've talked about satellite data, we've talked about imagery, but I know from the, from the pre-interview that you have plans to integrate all kinds of, of geospatial data. Is that correct? Yes, that's absolutely right. So um, yes, it starts with satellite imagery because of Airbus, but uh, in the near future, we will be integrating other kinds of data as well. So it'll be drone data, airplane data, it'll be traffic, weather, IoT, um, it's geospatial data in general, and when I say geospatial, um, I don't need to find this. When I do, uh, what I mean is any kind of data that is associated with a real-world location. So if I pull up my, uh, my bike-sharing app on my phone, which I use a lot here in Berlin, um, I see the locations of all of the bikes, the bicycles around the city that I can go and, uh, and, and rent. Um, that is geospatial data, too. So... Any kind of geospatial data, that's what we welcome onto the platform. Um, and we hope that with a combination of data sources, different kinds of data, uh, it'll allow customers to pick and choose and combine and create interesting, sophisticated solutions. Yeah, and I think this is this is one of the reasons why I approached you guys to to do this interview with was because I find that this is a fascinating idea. This is a very this is a great idea. Combining the data sources and the, the algorithms in one place. And especially 
with, with an interface, it's easier for easy for people to understand and use. And I remember you describing it in the pre-interview as a, a series of blocks where you could sort of drag and drop and move pieces of the algorithm around to, to create different outputs. That's right. So the, the, the mental model that I have is uh, it, it's a box of Legos. Uh, and I used to play with Legos when I was a kid, so I'm very fond of that. Um, yeah, so you come onto the platform and each of these data sources and each of these algorithms or processing algorithms um, is in the form of a block. Um, and we as a platform do a lot of work to make sure that each of these blocks is interoperable, meaning you can snap the blocks together and connect them. Um, and so as a customer, you can come and you can start with a data block, and then you can snap onto that a processing block or other data blocks. Um, and then you can just keep snapping blocks together. Um, you can form an entire workflow this way and then save it. That becomes your workflow. And then when you want to actually use that workflow, you point it to a specific place in the world, an area of interest, and you say, okay, now I'm interested in running this workflow on a specific farm in Nebraska, for example. Um, and then you can just run it. The data will flow from the data block into the processing blocks and then out the web interface or the, the, the API. Uh, it's, a box of, it's, a, it's a box of Legos. It's meant to be easy to use. Yeah, and uh, again, if we think about this in terms of the, the opportunity here, I mean, it's massive. If you're talking about, at some stage anyway, integrating all types of geospatial data, I'm assuming we can also integrate all types of, of geospatial processing algorithms, and, and that gives a massive amount of opportunity in terms of what, what people can do uh, on this platform. Yes, it's, it's totally huge. And just to give you an example with the, uh, the sort of analytics that we have on the platform, I mean, there's going to be like, filters that will like do some cloud masking. Um, there's also algorithms that will sharpen the image like uh, super resolution or pan sharpening algorithms. But then you get to the more like sophisticated stuff and we're talking about like what Orbital Insights is offering, which is like object detection. So they have a number of algorithms that will use artificial intelligence to recognize what an airplane looks like or what a car looks like or trees and things like this. So you can run an algorithm, and you'll, this is a satellite image, you can get like a, a wide area, and you can run the algorithm on this wide surface area, and you can detect and count all of the airplanes that are running in an area, for example. Um, your particular solution may take advantage of that sort of data. You might be monitoring um, you know, airplanes as they cross the ocean. You may be monitoring ships, or maybe you're monitoring like uh, oil seepage from an oil reservoir. Uh, there's a lot of sophisticated things that you can do after the data is processed. And just to be clear, as a, as a customer, as a user of this, this platform, I would, I would buy my, my block of data and I would also buy the, the algorithm blocks. Is that correct? So I chain them together in whatever way I see fit. And, but but that, that's the thing that I, that I purchase. Yeah, yeah. So I think you're speaking to like, how does the money flow? Like, what does the business model look like? Um, as a customer, you only pay for usage. Uh, so you don't necessarily buy like a data block and then you can use it uh, with a flat rate. We don't have that kind of a business model. Um, you can assemble a workflow. So you snap together all of these blocks. And then when you run that workflow, so you like point it to a location in the world and you say, okay, now execute. Um, the data is going to flow from the data block into the processing blocks and then out the web interface or the data or the API. 
And we are measuring the amount of data that's flowing and the compute time that the algorithms are using. And based on the usage of, of all of these resources, that's what you pay for. Okay, and to be clear, the, the reason why I'm asking about this is I think this has been traditionally another barrier to entry in terms of online platforms where users are paying for the read writes to the disk, just as an example. And in, in terms of a, a web mapping solution, um, it's really difficult to calculate you know, how much am I actually going to use here? And, and I think that's why people have shied away in some instances from, from using these platforms because they can't budget for it. That's right. Um, and, you know, even in our early stages here at Up42, um, when, even when we were in our closed beta, we had a list of about 100 customers, uh, users on the platform, and all of them were saying, we need a price estimation tool. <laughs> it was like the highest, it was the highest uh, requested feature uh, that, we were, that we were hearing. Um, and so we're, we're working on that. We don't have like a uh, a particularly good solution in place right now, but we have a way of uh, measuring the amount of data that you're downloading, obviously, um, and then also forecasting how long algorithms are going to take based on that data that flows through it. Um, and so we have um, sort of a, an initial price estimation tool on our platform, uh, but that is definitely going to improve over time as we get more data and more usage. At the, at the start of this interview, you, you talked a little bit about the experience you had at, at Amazon, or you mentioned at least that you used to work at Amazon. And I think this is probably one of the most well-known marketplaces in the world. Um, when you think about that as a marketplace, and now you're building your own marketplace, are there any lessons from that you can take and say, okay, well, this would be great just in a geospatial context or, or in a, an, another context. Are there things that we can use from Amazon that Amazon does particularly well, just as an example, in, in what you're building today? Yeah, you know, there's, yeah, you're right. I used to work at Amazon and so I had the inside view, but also as, a, as just a regular consumer, uh, I do a lot of my shopping on Amazon. And I think that there's a lot of lessons that we can take away from Amazon, such as uh, Amazon is probably the biggest marketplace in the world. Um, we know it as, a, as consumers as a place to buy stuff, right? There's just a, a big selection of products. Um, but what that is, is like Amazon is, has, has a number of merchants that are selling their own products on Amazon. And Amazon has first party products that they're selling. Like you, you've probably seen the Amazon Basics. Uh, if you wanted to buy an HDMI cord, for example, you might go for the name brand product and that's probably sold through a merchant or you might go for the Amazon Basics brand, uh, and that's like a first-party Amazon product. Um, in this case here, uh, you know, for customers to come to a marketplace and have a very wide selection of products that they could purchase is a very powerful concept. Uh, it makes it easier for consumers to get what they need, uh, and it, and it, it's, it's, it's profitable. Like when we lower that barrier to entry, you see a lot more throughput. Um, and I think we're doing that here at Up42 as well. So it is a marketplace where we have both first party products, and that would be like from Airbus, the Airbus data, some Airbus algorithms. Uh, but there's also a lot of third party products on the platform. So, you know, you'll get um, 2180 uh, imagery on on Up42's platform. Uh, you also see like a bunch of analytics algorithms from Orbital Insider for, from LiveEO or Pink Matter and things like that. Um, it's a one-stop shop. 
So customers can come there and they can browse a wide selection and they can feel assured that everything is interoperable on the platform and they can just pick and choose, combine, form a workflow and use it for their own products. Um, you know, I do want to make another point. It's, uh, it's, it's a little bit more subtle though. Uh, it's another lesson that I learned from Amazon. Actually, it was after I left Amazon and went to Netflix. Um, as you know, Netflix runs this like huge video streaming service and everybody in the world is using it. Um, and Netflix competes directly with uh, Amazon Prime Video. And they are like head-to-head -head competitors here. I think Netflix is farther ahead, but uh, still, they, they compete with each other. Um, but interestingly, Netflix is built on AWS, which is also owned by Amazon. And it's interesting that Amazon is able to segment their product in such a way that they can be very, very friendly with Netflix in one aspect and also competitive with Netflix in a different aspect. Um, that is a really, really interesting concept to me because so far what I've experienced in this geospatial industry is that um, a lot of companies here are extremely competitive with each other. They're like cutthroat competitive with each other. They seem to have the mindset that um, there's, a, there's a fixed pie here and in order for me to increase my share of it, I need to take somebody else's. Uh, but I, I don't think that's the case. Like, I think that if we can segment our products, we, that will allow us to be uh, more collaborative with each other. And through this cooperation, we can grow the pie instead of just being so cutthroat competitive, just the way that Amazon does it. I think that's, that's a really important point to make because I could imagine if I was a third-party seller on your site, I might be a little bit afraid that, that maybe you are going to show my, my offerings to, to less people, for example. It would get into almost like a, um, the, the Amazon wall, wall garden approach where you know, there's user ratings and they upvote or compete unfairly with their, with their house brand against third-party sellers. Yeah, that's definitely, I mean, I can understand that concern. Um, however, like if you think about all the merchants that are selling their products on Amazon, like they obviously are experiencing a whole different dynamic. Instead of uh, being worried so much about the competition, they view Amazon as a, a place to access a lot more customers than they could probably get to, a, to their own website. You know, there's a lot of people on Amazon and they can access that that revenue stream if they put their product in on Amazon, as opposed to if they only sold direct sales from their own website. So there's two ways of looking at it. We hope they go for the latter. <laughs> I'm sure they will, especially after listening to this interview. Hey, uh, if we could just stay with the Amazon example for a moment and also add in a, a data portal example. Um, I, and I think traditionally it's been really hard to make a really great uh, geospatial data portal. At least when I look around the examples out there in the world, there is plenty of, of really poor data, data portals. And for, for me, poor means it's really difficult to find the data that I'm interested in. Sure, a, a lot of data is open now and, you know, in, in quotation marks, freely accessible, but it's, it's difficult to find. You're talking about having huge amounts of data on your platform. How are you going to surface this data? How are you going to show the right data to, to the right user? And if we think about Amazon, for example, I'm sure if I went to Amazon and typed in iPhone, for example, there'd be a lot of third-party sellers, other people selling iPhones or, or some other commodity product. 
but and, and they use user ratings, upvoting, downvoting, that kind of thing, to to surface the the, the best product for for the user. What what are you going to do to to help users get around in the, this massive amount of data and algorithms? I mean that that is a great question. Um, I think that right now, just to be fully transparent, we aren't doing that great of a job. Like we have. Uh, a list of all of our data sources, and we're not really helping users to find the right one. But you know, this is a starting point for us, and we had to, we had to get started, basically. And, and, and we will improve from here. Now, in the future, though, this is what we're building. Um, we're building a way for customers to basically start with a search box. It'll have, it'll allow them to enter an area of interest. So it could be an address, a GPS coordinate basically some place in the world. They'll enter that location, and then they'll see a map with that location um, pinned on the map, and then they'll be able to see all of the imagery that we have available on our platform that's taken at that place and the acquisition dates. I think that customers are extremely interested in this sort of an interface where they can see all of the imagery that's taken. This, is, this, this spans multiple different satellite constellations and not just satellites. It'll be like drones. It'll be other sources of data as well. From there, they'll say, okay, now maybe I want the uh, spot satellite imagery. I'll start with that as a data source. And then from that, they can start to connect the analytics blocks, the processing blocks. So that will start their workflow. Um, this is the new interface that we envision because of what we're hearing from customers. Um, it will put the imagery, the data front and center. It'll give them um, insight into when the data was taken. So, because a lot of a lot of times the the acquisition date is of critical importance to them, and then also we're monitoring to see like of certain locations in the world what sort of data is the most popular. So, if we have like a highly rural area and it's like forest area or something like this, we might we might notice that um, a certain kind of imagery is being used for that specific spot in the world. We would, fill, we would uh, rank those imagery sources closer to the top. So this is sort of like what Amazon does as well. When you search for a product on Amazon, maybe I search for a screwdriver, for example, um, Amazon is like sorting uh, the list of results that come back to me so that the one that Amazon thinks I'll be most interested in is like the top. Uh, we will be doing the same thing. So we'll be looking and monitoring usage data to give customers an indication for what would be most useful to them given a specific point in the world. I think that is an incredibly powerful idea because, like I said earlier, at some stage there's going to be a lot of data on your platform and that idea that you can match data to a customer's need, it, I think that that's really brilliant, especially when we're, when we're thinking outside of... Um, satellite data or imagery for example you talked about bicycles before is there anything with a location if i come to your platform say sure i maybe i start off by narrowing down my search um, with a with an area with a polygon or with a point or something like that but at some stage i, I want to what's the latest maybe or what's been used the most or who, who wants the most popular i think this is a really really great idea yeah and you know like uh, i guess a way for us to sort of understand this concept um, is autocomplete, you know, and I know that autocomplete gets ragged on a lot because sometimes it, it, it comes up wrong, but autocomplete also helps a lot. Like, um, the, the recent change in Gmail, how like it'll suggest 
it'll, it'll, it'll autocomplete the rest of your sentence if you wanted to. That's using pretty sophisticated uh, machine learning uh, algorithms there, where it's like looking at how you formulate your sentences, and it's guessing at what you might want to do for the current sentence at hand. In a similar way, if you start with a, a location in the world, we will basically suggest to you uh, what sort of data source you might be interested in, and maybe you select a data source. Then we will suggest other processing algorithms that you might want to layer on top of that to help refine that data. So it's kind of like autocomplete where we are suggesting things that are based on usage, maybe for you and also for other customers as well. And I think this is really important because what you're doing is you're, you're democratizing access to these things, to these data sources and to these algorithms. But in doing that, you're attract, attracting or hopefully attracting a whole new market segment that perhaps doesn't have that, that background in, in geospatial that, that other users have already. So I think it's really important to be able to hold their hand a little bit uh, along the journey and sort of help them, guide, the, guide them through it. And um, that, that leads me on to the next question. In doing this, uh, what kind of what kind of industries do you think that aren't using geospatial today will use it, or or do you have any sort of target markets for for your platform for your services? So yeah, yeah. I mean, this is like super. This is a super interesting topic, and I'm always tickled when I talk to customers and I and I ask them like, how do you plan to use this data? Like, what do you want to do? And they will describe the most interesting use cases ever. Like even yesterday, I was talking to a company and they, are, they already have a product in place using drones and, and airplanes, but they want to expand into satellites now. And that's why he was talking to me uh, to get access to the satellite data. What they're doing is they're looking at forests. Um, there are uh, companies out there that are maintaining these forests. And um, they are specifically looking for distressed trees within the forest that are um, basically hosting these hibernating beetles inside of the tree bark. <laughs> it is like I would never have okay. come up with this on my own. <laughs> yeah. So, so this, this is, that's definitely the, the long tail of, of the spectrum, what we're seeing there. Well, sure, I'll talk about some other cases as well, but this is just one that you know, I, I heard yesterday. Uh, it, so basically, these beetles are infesting the tree inside of the bark. And if, if you can get the data for which trees are infected uh, before the beetles uh, wake up and start infecting the other trees, then you can go and cut down the tree and treat it immediately. Um, and so that sort of data is, uh, is, is, is what he is like um, coming up with. That's his product. Uh, but there are other companies out there too, like we're working with an oil and gas company um, that is using satellite imagery to monitor their oil reservoirs. And they have specific algorithms that are also running on Up42, which they've, like, they've, they've created the algorithm uh, and they're running it on Up42 uh, that will be able to detect oil seepage so they have these like floating oil reservoirs on the water. Um, if they don't have a good way of monitoring this on a daily or weekly basis, if an oil starts, if an oil leak starts, uh, it could, you know, the longer it goes undetected, the more devastating it can be. So having a good detection system in place is of critical importance to them. Uh, that's what they're using Up42 for. Um, there's a lot of other use cases that like I can go into this all day. <laughs> Um, I think we've talked about a few sort of 
industry-based use cases, if I can describe it in, like, in, in those, those words. Have you seen any sort of consumer based use cases we're all consumers of course but what i'm getting at is the public so so me for example where i as an individual not as part of a company could use your services or could you imagine people individuals using your services in the future just for yeah solving consumer based problems yeah that's something that we haven't really touched too much of yet um, i've heard a few cases but i haven't actually seen the real world usage for it yet um, I would love to get into that. Uh, I mentioned, you know, the, the bike sharing apps and things like that. I want to attract those type of customers onto our platform as well, uh, but we're not quite there yet. Like our, our starting point for our customers are is basically B two B. Yeah, of course. And and this is by no means a, a critique of what you're doing at all. I was just always interested to see that uh, often these things in the geospatial world, because they're so heavy in terms of processing time or that the data is expensive or you need this this deep sort of understanding of geospatial to be able to use these products that they're very b2b focused uh -huh. and i'm always interested in use cases that are more sort of business to consumer b2c focused yes yes hey um we're slowly but surely coming to the end of our time together but i've got one more question before before i let you go and that would be what, what is this going to look like in the future? If you could look five years out, what, what are we going to see in terms of up 42? Okay. I love this question. <laughs> um, I guess the best way to answer this question is to give a bit of an analogy or an example. Um, and I want to um, just rewind the clock a little bit to the mid 1990s, because that's when I was a 16 year old boy in high school. And uh, I, w I got my driver's license for the first time. And I wanted to take my, my first trip uh, with my friends into downtown DC to have dinner at the Hard Rock Cafe. And at that time, geospatial data took the form of a map book of Washington, DC. It was a book with pages in it. The first page had like an, uh, an overview with a, with a grid on it. So you had to find your letter and your number on the grid and then flip to the, the right, the corresponding page, then you would get like a, a more detailed view. And, you know, there's like streets, there's landmarks, there's rivers and bridges and things like that. In preparation for my trip, I created a list of turn by turn directions. And then we set off, we started driving on the highway and we exited the highway. And as you know, like new driver here, 16 years old, um, we, we, you, take first, you take the first wrong turn and the rest of your turn-by-turn -turn directions are just crap. Like you're not able to use it anymore, you're lost. And the friends that I had in the car, like we just kept making turns and turns and getting lot more and more lost. And then eventually we ended up into like the, the deepest and the darkest part of DC. It's, it's the hood. And it was a residential area where you had groups of people that are just hanging out on the, the curb. Uh, for me, it was quite a scary place. And we parked our car um, and, I, and I broke out the map book to try to reorient myself and figure out how to get to our destination. And there was this really loud knock on my driver's side door and there was this huge man. Um, he gestured to me to open my window, which I naively did. And then he says, are you kids lost? And I'm like, Yes, we're lost. I didn't say it, but my eyes, I was nodding up and down saying, yes, we're lost. And then he just says to me, not a good place to be lost. <laughs> Turns around and he walks away. 
<laughs> he scared the living daylights out of me and my friends. And so, of course, we just turn on the engine and we just jet out of there like a bat out of hell. Like that's that's what you do when you're lost, you know. And and I think that um, if you look at what geospatial data is, it's like, well, you know, when it's hard to use, you get lost and you run away. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, you fast forward now to like 2019, and you know, I I just relocated here to Berlin, and even though it's a brand new city, I pull out my phone and there's Google Maps. It's very very easy to use. I know exactly where I am as represented by a blue dot on the map. Um, I can plot my course. I know when I'm going to arrive. I know even the opening and closing times of my destination. Like there's a whole bunch of very useful geospatial data that is ready at my fingertips. And not only that, like Google Maps has done a great job in their API. So there's a lot of businesses out there that are pulling data from Google Maps and they're using that data in their own products and services. So if you go to a restaurant website, for example, you'll see a little snippet of a map that shows you where the restaurant is located. That comes from Google Maps, you know, and like Uber in the early days used to use Google Maps to, to show you where the, the cars are located and, and when they're going to arrive at, at where you are. Like, I think that uh, Google has done a great job at democratizing geospatial data. And you're seeing like evidence of it being like, it's, it's infiltrating. It's like being integrated in so many parts of our lives and it really does change the way we live. And Op42 is doing a similar thing. We are lowering the barrier to entry, making it easier for people to use geospatial data. The more successful we are in this, the more use cases you will see and the more deeply integrated it's going to be in various applications out there. You're going to see like not just maps, places of interest, and routes, which is primarily what Google Maps offers you. You're going to see access to very powerful satellite data, different resolutions, you can specify the different acquisition dates, the different bands that the, the, the satellite sensors are shooting at. It might even be radar data, which gives you millimeter differences in elevation. We're gonna see a lot more power at the fingertips of software developers out there that are creating new applications. So you're gonna see this on your phone. Like The result of all of this data is gonna be put in new and interesting applications and I think that's what we're going to see in the next five years. We're going to just have new ways of, of running our lives using geospatial data, which we won't think of it as like geospatial data explicitly, but we will be using it nonetheless. Yeah, I, I agree. And I always think it's fascinating talking to people like you that are on the, the cutting edge of the geospatial industry and are out there breaking down the barriers and removing the gates, you know, so people can have access to, the, to it and democratizing in your case, data and algorithms. And I feel sometimes that uh, people are perhaps a little bit afraid by this. They're, oh, I used to be a gatekeeper. I was the in-house GIS or geospatial re resource, or I was doing something else. And here's somebody else who's going to make it easier to access my knowledge and, and, and get the, the result, if you know what I mean. They're going to bar bypass me. But personally, I'm, I'm really inspired by this. I think that this is going to create a huge amount of opportunity for the, for the GIS or geospatial industry as a whole. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think that this is going to become like a major, major industry out there. Um, there's going to be new professions for, you know, we call them data scientists right now, but they're going to be data scientists that are specifically focused on geospatial data, 
because it's going to be a re there's going to there's going to be a real big need for that to process that sort of data. Absolutely. Again, Eli, this has been inspiring and fascinating um, talking with you. I've really, really enjoyed it. We are running out of time now. So I hope that you could just let the listeners know where they could go to, to follow along or learn more about you and your work at Up42. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the first place is obviously our website. It's up42.com. And if I spell it out, it's up42.com. So it's a very short URL. Uh, and otherwise, we have uh, Up42 Official on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you can reach out to us on our, uh, and LinkedIn as well. You can reach out to us on our social channels. Um, we are developing a blog as well, which you can subscribe to and keep up to date. Uh, but mostly, like, if you come to our website, sign up for a user account, just try it out. You get 10,000 free credits right off the bat without having to, to pay for anything. Uh, just give it a shot and and give us the feedback too. Like that's really what I'm interested in. Like I, I I'm interested in learning from our users and our customers. Um, so shout out to me. Also, um, um, yeah, I don't know if I should do this, but uh, if you want to if you want to email me directly, uh, my my email address is eli.tamanaha at up42.com. That's e l i dot t a m a n a h a at up42.com. Um, I'd be happy to hear, you know, what kind of use cases uh, you're working on, what sort of products you would like to use geospatial data for. Uh, we'll have like a, I'd love to engage in these conversations. So reach out to me directly too. Eli, thank you so much for, for giving the, the, the listeners to this podcast the opportunity to, to learn more about you. I, I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Right at the start of this episode, I talked a little bit about our sponsor, Hive Mapper. That's Hive as in Beehive Mapper. And I told you a little story about a problem that they could have solved for me. When I was at university, I was using a thermal video camera to, to create a huge thermal map of a city that I was interested in at the time. So what I'd done is I'd taken this camera out of the front of a BMW, mounted it on a plane and flown it over the city a couple of times and that gave me video footage back, which was great. I mean, the idea was that I could take the video footage apart frame by frame, stitch them together and create these layers of, of thermal imagery over the city. So instead of doing all that manually, if I had had access to Hive Mapper back in the day, I could have just uploaded that and they would have created these, these 3D layers for me automatically and georeferenced them. So another thing I discovered with this project to build this huge thermal mapper of a city was that I wanted to repeat the process and I could do that, you know, so I, I flew some more lines over the city and collected some more data, but eventually I also wanted to look at changes over time. How, how was the scene underneath me, underneath the camera changing over time? So what I did is I went out and I flew a few more lines over the city, collected some more data and then ran some very basic sort of change detection algorithms on these data sets that I had collected. And what I could see was, you know, pixel values changing over time, and that was interesting. But when I think about what HiveMapper does, they don't just look at the changing pixel values, they look at objects that are actually physically removed or added to the scene over time. And I think this is, this is an incredibly powerful tool, and I can see a lot of really interesting use cases for it. So if you're interested in this, just search for HiveMapper, that's Hive as in beehivemapper.com, and you'll find lots of interesting information on their website.
And that's it for another episode of the Map Escaping Podcast. My name is Daniel, and I really want to thank you for tuning in again this week. I really appreciate it. I also really appreciate your kind ratings and reviews on iTunes. It really means a lot to me, and I read every single one of them. And as always, you are more than welcome to reach out to me on our social media channels. To do that, you'll find some really useful links in the show notes. That's it from me. We'll talk again next week. Bye.